Right, I'm going to read from Luke 16, the first 15 verses. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do that. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe your, my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commanded the dishonest manager because he had act commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Amen. Daph, thanks very much. So we're going to look this month at some, some of the parables, the stories that Jesus told. And, um, you know, the previous story in Luke's Gospel is the parable of the prodigal son. It, one of the most famous, and people love that story, and rightly so. It's a beautiful story that portrays the Father heart of God. But right head, hot on the heels of that is this parable, the parable of the dishonest manager. Um, do you want that back? <laughs> and, uh, and we think, ooh, this is a bit of a weird one. Because in it, Jesus seems to say, use your money to buy friends. Right? You don't often hear Jesus think Jesus would say that, but that is kind of what he says here. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. And then it also seems to say you can buy your way into heaven. Right? When the money's gone, you, you know, if you've bought friends, then you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Yes, buy your way to heaven with money. 
That's what it seems to say. Okay. <laughs> so we avoid this passage. A little bit weird. In one of Charles Dickens' books, Little Dorrit, there's a character called Casby. And Casby is loved by people uh, because... Um, Zen, your kids outside, they could go in the hall if they wanted to. Um, just saying, just saying. Uh, they're just hanging around outside. If they want to go in the hall, they can. Um, or not. Or maybe I've got that totally wrong and I apologise. I just... Um... Yeah, so Casby, in the story Little Dorrit, he's uh, a property owner and he's rich. He's got long grey hair and people think he's the most wonderful person. He loves to flow around and people think he's a marvellous chap. And they see him as very generous and all the rest of it. But actually, Casby is a fairly ruthless businessman who has a manager, Mr. Panks. And Mr. Panks does his dirty work for him. Mr. Panks goes around collecting rent uh, from people who are having to pay way over the odds for where they're living. And uh, everybody hates Panks because he's like a dirty, grubby, shady manager who's after your money. But all that he does is at the bidding of Casby. <laughs> In this story, there's a rich man, Jesus says. Now, when we hear the word rich man, don't just think, um, you know, he has a few extra quid um, and can afford to shop at Waitrose. Uh, <laughs> instead, <laughs> please don't think that. He's out of this world rich. He's mega bucks rich. Most people living on a, a very low level in Jesus' day, um, doing manual work and so on. And a few handful of few people were, were super, super rich. And this was such a man. He was rich. He didn't know what to do with his money. And he didn't want to dirty himself with having to deal with stuff. And he needed a person to manage his affairs. So he has a manager. Not a manager who was over him, but a manager who was under him. And then he hears a report that this manager has been squandering uh, his stuff. He's been uh, wasting his possessions, abusing his position, this manager. And so he gets called in and uh, he says, what's this I hear about you? Uh, give me a account books, give an account of your management. Show me the accounts, because you cannot do this job anymore. He gives him the sack right there and then. And we're told he was accused of wasting his possessions. Was he actually guilty? You know, if you're employed by someone, uh, you have rights under employment law. If you feel you've been unfairly dismissed, you can uh, make an appeal in this country. There's no such rights for this manager here. He comes in and I hear there's this accusation against you. Boom. Now, it might well have been true, but he doesn't really get a chance to defend himself. Uh, he loses his job, or he's just about to. And then you see that this manager, although he was actually in quite a good position, he's quite privileged, he's more wealthy than most people, not as wealthy as the rich man, but more wealthy than most, his position was very precarious. Now, I don't know much about football, but I do know that if you're a football manager, it's a privileged position, it's, it can be fantastic, but also pretty precarious for some of them, isn't it? I was at Watford Football Club. Seem to get through managers about every few months. You can be up there, and then the next, after a few games, you've lost, boom, you're out. This man's position was precarious. He, had, he was enjoying the spoils of his role, but 
he could be sacked at any moment and there were others waiting in the wings to take his place. He says, what should I do? My master's going to take away my job and he says, he, he, he thinks about the options in his mind. He says, I'm not, I'm not strong enough to dig. I can't do manual labour. He's facing the facts. That would be the option to go and do, you know, Jesus, that's what he did. He was a carpenter, he did manual labour. I can't do that. I just haven't got the strength for it. And then he, what is the other option left? Begging. Literally, that's all he, he could do. You know, we, we, we might say to our young people, you know what, you could do this, you could be an architect, you could drive a bus, you could be a doctor, you could do this, that and the other. There's so many options. Those were his two options. You know, manual labour or begging. What was he going to do? So then he says, ah, eureka moment. I'll know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. You know, others would have had households and they would have been looking maybe for an, a manager for them. So he's sort of trying to buy favour with them. And he comes up with this idea. He calls in his master's debtors, one by one. And he asks what they owe. Now, it was allowed in the Jewish law to, to, to lend money. But it was actually, God said it was forbidden to, 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 to lend people money and to charge them interest. You weren't allowed to do it. Three times in the Old Testament in the law, it said... Uh, you mustn't do that. Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it repeats. You can lend your fellow Israelite money, but do not charge interest. Well, they got around this by charging interest not on money, but on goods. So here, how much do you owe? Well, I owe a ton of olive oil. The other one, how much do you owe? I owe loads of wheat. They would charge the interest on wheat, and that way got around God's law. <clears throat> and so when these come and they says, how much do you owe? I owe this much. Tell you what, let's cut your bill by 50%. The next one, let's cut your bill by 20%. It could be that he was actually just saying, you know what, all that interest that you were owing us, let's cancel it. Let's cancel the interest. And it could be that the manager had been creaming off some of this money for himself. And so he was you know, doing himself out of some money. Now, the rich man, having said, I'm going to give you the sack, you might have thought, right, that's crazy. Now you've really done it. Who on earth do you think you are? But actually, we're told, he commends the manager. He says, smart move. <laughs> you've been smart with money. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, the rich man had so much money, he'd, he wouldn't have really noticed losing some of it. Secondly, because the manager was still acting effectively on behalf of the rich man, or so that's what the debtors would have thought, he made the rich man look really generous. Uh, everyone would have thought, oh, obviously this manager is, is doing this at the say-so of the rich man. So, you know, what a great guy he is. And it's so important in that community to be considered well, to be thought well of. You know, he, he could have then gone round and said to all his debtors, wait a minute, that guy wasn't acting, uh, it wasn't acting on my behalf. You still owe me all that money. You still owe me all that oil. You still owe me, owe me all that wheat. But he wouldn't want to do that because then his standing in society would have gone down. Everyone thought he was a great guy. So actually, the manager was acting smartly. And that's why his boss recognised, hmm, good move. And maybe he didn't lose his job after all.
For sure, the manager was acting to save his own skin. But what he was doing was actually right. He was cancelling the debt. He was getting rid of the interest that shouldn't have been there in the first place. And so he was obeying God's law. He was obeying God's word. Okay for the wrong motives, but at least he was doing it. And Jesus tells this story, and people think, oh, well, that's a funny one. And he was telling it to his disciples. But the religious elite, the Pharisees, were listening in as well. And we're told at the end of this passage, when they heard everything Jesus was saying, they sneered, they jeered. Why? Because they loved money. They were the most religious people of all. They knew God's word super well. They made everyone else feel really bad because they were super holy. And we're told here they loved money. Seems a strange contradiction, doesn't it? We can think that becoming Christian is all about then becoming super holy and just living in church and we take communion and maybe you come to the prayer meeting. We can think that God will encounter us here in church and God will meet us in the prayer meeting. And that is all true. But God is also present in the business world. God is also present in business deals or offices where you work, companies you, we might work for, for example, where things aren't always black and white. There are shades of grey. God is still in that place. Jesus is not shy to talk about it. Do you know, God compromises all the time. <laughs> we say, no, 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 he's, he's perfect. He doesn't compromise. Yes, he does. Because he deals with me all the time. <laughs> God's a God of compromise. <laughs> Jesus told stories that were very much in the real world. I'm going to talk about a banana. You might think, hang on, where are you going with this? <laughs> I did a talk for Pembury Primary School about a banana and, and my son has mocked me ever since. So I'm going to do it. He's not here, I'm going to do it now. You might say, why talking about bananas? Well, do you know, bananas used to be in uh, scarce supply in this country. There used to be a bit of a delicacy. My dad tells a story. My dad went to uh, a boarding school and he tells a story how uh, one night all the boys in the boarding school were woken up in the middle of the night, and they were all made to stand around the, the, the edge of the school library, and the teachers, one by one, went round all the boys and said, who stole the bananas? Was it you? See, what had happened at dinner time was, the boys never had bananas, but the staff were allowed to have the odd banana, and they'd gone past on the staff dinner trolley, and someone had stolen them. <laughs> who stole the bananas? 60 years later, my dad's friend Roger came to visit, I said, do you remember that time when we all had to line up in the... It was me! I stole the bananas! <laughs> now, in those days, you couldn't get bananas, right? They were, in, in post-war Britain, they were not in plentiful supply. But now, bananas are in the supermarkets. You can go and buy your bananas, you know, have a banana, whatever. Now, bananas, some of them, in fact, all supermarkets stock them, some of them are fairly traded bananas. And they cost a little bit more. 
But what does it mean that they're fairly traded? And I don't think fair trade is perfect, but listen to here. What it means when we buy a fair trade banana as opposed to just like another banana is it means the person who's the farmer gets more money. They get more money per banana. It might cost us a bit more, but they're getting, it tastes the same, right? But they get more money. Now, in olden times, you'd buy your food, you'd buy your goods from the person who'd made them or from the person who'd grown them. You'd go to the market and you'd get them and you'd meet that very person perhaps. Now, when we buy stuff, our supply chain's so long, we never, we didn't even think about the farmers who are growing the crops and the stuff that we're buying. But just imagine this, and you might say this is way too far-fetched, but just imagine this, you get to heaven and someone comes up to you and says, so good to meet you. Thank you for buying my bananas. Welcome into my house. <laughs> I so appreciated that you made the effort to buy my bananas. They cost you more. But you did the right thing. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. <laughs> Let's use our money and spend our money wisely and think about who's receiving the benefits so that when it's gone you may be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We don't think about the connections but actually what we buy has an impact in our world. Now if we all go out and buy fair trade bananas the supermarkets will think, oh they're all running out, we'll stock more, it's supply and demand. And then I think Sainsbury's, that's all they do. They just stock fair trade bananas. 20 years ago you couldn't get fair trade bananas, now you can. Now you might say, this is so trivial, why are you talking about bananas? Well, if you're a banana grower, it's not trivial. But the thing is, Jesus says here, whoever can be trusted with very little, a banana, can also be trusted with much. If you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? God has his eye not just on the big stuff, but on the small things as well. It says in the Bible, do not despise the day of small things. These little things that we do, and I chose a, what might seem a very trivial example, and there are so many others. These things matter. Jesus goes on to say, you can't serve God and money. It's pretty stark. It's pretty shocking. And as I've been reflecting on it in my own life, I think, oh my goodness. Because we are so saturated by a materialistic consumer world that we live in. But it's not new. As I said last week, Jesus talked more about money than anything else, apart from the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees here, they love money too. So it's an age-old condition. Money can be the, the last thing that we surrender to God. But I want to suggest that if we can surrender our money to God, even the small change, even the small trip to the supermarket, if we can surrender that to God, everything else will fall into place. This is why Jesus talks so much about money. When he says you cannot serve God and money, the Aramaic word is mammon. And it's almost like saying God is God, but there's another God too. His name is mammon. <laughs> and you can't serve both. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. You can't serve both. You'll hate one, love the other. Devoted to one, despise the other.
the other. Now, when I start thinking about this in my own life, I, I get scared because I think, oh, God's going to want me to you know, live on nothing and have a terrible life. So I hate talking about this. I hate thinking about this. Actually, my experience is that God wants to bless us. But that he's calling us to surrender. Now, we can surrender with our singing. We can surrender with our, you know, religious behavior. <laughs> but when it comes to the crunch, will we surrender our money? And now I'm not just talking about giving. I'm talking about the, what we spend, what we invest in, all of it. Lord, it's all yours. Every penny. And I'm sorry, I want to say in front of everybody here, I repent. Because I've squandered money. I've not thought about it in God's way enough. So God is calling us now to make that choice. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's serve God. You know, in the Old Testament, not, admittedly not so much in the New, but in the Old Testament, the word serve and the word worship, it's exactly the same word. Are we going to worship God or worship money? Jesus is pretty stark here. You cannot serve two masters. So it will be different things for each one of us and, and we're not talking about being legalistic and we're not talking about making anyone feel guilty. Jesus wants us to walk into freedom. But he wants us to be free from the world that entangles us and to walk through this. And it's not easy. But the way to do this in our lives is to surrender it all to him. Just to give our lives up to him. Now, my experience when we do that, he blesses us, gives us it back, gives us more. But the invitation is to surrender. So will we do that today? I want to serve you. Make a decision that you're my master. Let's pray. Jesus, would you be Lord in this place? Would you be Lord of my bank account? Would you be Lord of the decisions I make on Monday morning as well as Sunday morning? Would you be Lord in our lives? Jesus, would you challenge us? Would you challenge me by your Holy Spirit? I have an opportunity to declare however we might be feeling right now, to declare that I will surrender. I will offer up my life. I'll give everything to God. When we do that, then that's the road to success that Tracy was talking about. Surrender to God. And he gives us so much more. He doesn't give us the world gifts but he gives us so much more. So he's looking for people who will surrender. He's looking for people who will follow him to the cross. He's looking for people who will say, yes, Lord, all I have is yours. I invite you to stand if you're able. I will offer up my life in spirit and in truth.
in surrender. I must give every part. Lord, receive the sacrifice of a broken heart. We come to you right now. Holy Spirit, would you, we invite you to just be, just do what you do. Glorify Jesus in this place. Glorify the name of Jesus. His name is higher than any other name. He is on the throne. He is good. Lord, your good, your love endures forever. We bless you and praise you and exalt you. Give your eye everything. Bless your Holy Spirit that you're moving. Bless you for your, what you're doing. We just, just pray increase, Lord. We just cry to you for more. Lord, I pray you be pouring out your love on your people. Not condemnation, not hatred, not guilt, but love. Freedom, freedom to worship you. Just, Lord, pour out on your people right now. Would you pray? We pray. Come, Lord. Do what you do. Take over, Lord. Have your way. Have your way. Come, Holy Spirit. If you're feeling the Lord stirring in your, in your heart right now, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Make your yes, yes to God. We're, we're wearing masks. No one else can see. <laughs> Just say yes, Lord. In surrender, I must give every part. Give it all up to him. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. I thank you for what you're doing. Hallelujah.